0: Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can turn your attention to our gospel lesson today, either in your folder or in your Bible. And on the back of your worship folder, you'll find a, an outline with some blanks that can guide you as we talk about how Jesus models for us. How we can share the living water of the gospel with others. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. There's an argument going on in advertising a number of years ago between some beer companies. The argument was about who had the best water to use in the brewing process. One company said, ours is the best because our water comes from artesian wells deep underneath the ground. And the other company said, no, our water is better because ours come from clean, cool, fresh mountain streams. I don't think it really matters where the water comes from. But imagine if one of those companies were able to say the water we use will cure any ill that you have and give you eternal life. Now that would be something. People would be lining up, even if they didn't like beer, to have that product. Well, there isn't any beer company that can make that promise, but Jesus can. He promises that He can give us the water of life that bubbles up inside us and gives eternal life. And that water isn't bottled anywhere, it's not for sale anywhere, it's for free. It's right here in the Bible, in the words of Jesus. He told the people in Jerusalem, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Living water, the good news of the gospel. The only thing that can quench the thirst of those who feel the flames of hell licking on the soles of their feet because of their sin. That's the living water. It's what the Holy Spirit uses to bring us to believe that Jesus is our Savior. You have that living water. You've heard the gospel message. The Holy Spirit has used us to used it to bring you to faith in Jesus, to know that in baptism, you've been united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. You get all the benefit of his life and death in your place. And you know that everyone, if they're human, needs that water of life. If they don't have it, you will end up in the fires of hell without even a drop of water to cool their tongue for all eternity. Share the water of life, the good news of the gospel. Let it bubble up and flow from you to reach everyone. Jesus models for us this morning how we can do that, how we can share the water of life, the gospel of forgiveness, with everyone. John tells us that Jesus was traveling from Jerusalem back to Galilee. He was going the most direct route through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the piece of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. and Jesus, being tired from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Most of you probably know why John is giving us those details. He gives us a hint in verse 9 as he reminds us that Jews and Samaritans don't associate with each other. In fact, normally if a Jewish person was traveling from Jerusalem back to Galilee, they would come near the border of Samaria, but before they got there, they'd go across the river, take all that trouble and extra time, go up along Samaria on the other side of the river, cross back over when they got to Galilee. They didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. They would not have to go through their territory. So by going the most direct route, going through Samaria, Jesus was showing us that we want to share the living water of the gospel even in uncomfortable places, places where we might not think anyone would be interested or wanted to listen. What's that place for you? What's your uncomfortable place at work? College classroom? An airplane? Coffee shop? Or how about this one? Maybe at the family dinner where you know there are some relatives that don't want anything to do with the gospel. Uncomfortable places. Whatever your uncomfortable place is, it couldn't be any more uncomfortable than it was for Jesus to be a Jewish man in Samaria, sitting alongside the well in Sychar. But Jesus wasn't looking uncomfortable. He was looking for an opportunity to share the water of life with anybody who would come by. An opportunity did present itself. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now normally, if a Jewish man had gone that most direct route through Samaria, and he had stopped by that well, and a Samaritan woman came out to draw water there, most likely he would have just pretended she wasn't there. Invisible, didn't really exist, just ignored her. Or maybe, muttered some derogatory comments about her under her breath. And, John tells us, it was an unusual time of day that this woman was coming to the well. Sixth hour, heat of the day. Normally, you would come early in the morning or later in the afternoon after it wasn't so hot. See, she was coming at a time when she was pretty sure there wouldn't be any of her friends or neighbors from town there. She was a social outcast, probably because... She'd been married so many times before. and Yet Jesus initiates a conversation with her. He shows us that we can share the water of life, the good news of the gospel, even with unlikely people. People you might think wouldn't be interested, wouldn't care to hear what you had to say. Jesus was always willing to do that, wasn't he? Share the gospel with unlikely people. Pharisees looked down on him for that. He was willing to share the water of life with tax collectors, people other considered sinners by others, with this Samaritan woman. He was willing to share it with anybody. So, who would be an unlikely person for you? Someone with pink hair and lots of tattoos and piercings? Homeless person on the street? Someone who could barely speak English? Who's an unlikely person to you? Maybe your neighbor who always seems grumpy and hardly ever comes out of the house? Bottom line, whoever it is, we know what Jesus knew. Whether they seem unlikely to listen or not, they need what we have. They need that water of life. They need to hear the good news of the gospel. They need what you have. That brings us to the next thing that Jesus did. He piqued this woman's interest He let her know that he had something that she would want, something that she desperately needed. He told her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. How can you do that? How can you pique someone's interest? Listen carefully, look at their body language. Are they very worried about the coronavirus? They seem sad, down. Are they really worried about all the trouble and injustice and unfairness that exist in the world? You have what they need. You know that God promises that he's in control, and so you have Peace. You know that God can put an end to the coronavirus right now if he wants to. And even if he doesn't and it spreads and you get it, he can cure you. Or he can use it to take you to heaven. He's in control. You have that peace of knowing whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You know that even in most troubled situations, the saddest situations in life, you can have joy. The joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven. The joy of knowing that someone who dies believing in Jesus has eternal life. In the midst of all the trouble and injustice in the world, you know why it exists. It's because of sin. And you also know that Jesus suffered the worst possible injustice. He had no sins, and yet he was punished for your sins. You know when he's coming back, in glory, he's going to get rid of all trouble, all injustice, all unfairness. He's going to establish a perfect eternal kingdom. That people know that you have something that they would want. Peace and joy, confidence. Something that they really need. Forgiveness of sins. Jesus did that. He let this woman know that he had something that she would really want, something that she really needed. But at first she didn't quite understand, did she? she? She kind of thought only physically. You know, how are you going to do that, Jesus? Are you going to make some water bubble up in my house so I don't have to keep coming to this well? What are you talking about? So he helped her understand what he was talking about, recognize her real need, recognize her sin, and her need for forgiveness. Verse 16. Jesus told her, Go, call your husband and come back here. I have no husband. The woman answered. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say I have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said Is true. Unlike Jesus, we can't look into someone's heart and know what their sin is. But we don't really have to. All we have to do is engage their conscience and let their conscience do the work. One of the ways to do that is to ask them hey, are you ready for eternity? If you died tonight, do you know where you'd be, what would happen to you? When we ask questions like that, and we get people thinking about their mortality and about eternity. It moves them to think about spiritual things. Even if they say, they think there's nothing after death, there is no such thing as eternity. Of course, when you start talking about death and mortality, it makes people uncomfortable. And most likely what they're going to do is try to change the subject that's what the woman did, didn't she? He tried to change the subject. got A little too close to home. Jesus knew how many husbands she had, had and how she was living with someone who wasn't her husband. He tried to change the subject. Well, oh, you Jewish people say you got to worship in Jerusalem, and well, we say we can worship here in Samaria. He Trying to get Jesus off the track. And he could have. He could have followed her down that road. And he could have pointed out in Scripture, God does say. That's where the temple should be in Jerusalem and the only proper place to offer offerings to the true God is in Jerusalem. He could have done that, but he didn't. He managed her objections and he kept her focused on the important things. People will try to do the same thing in our world today. They might try to derail us by talking about all the terrible things that have been done in the name of Christianity throughout history. They might try to derail you by talking about, well, you know, there's only one Bible, but there's all these different religions and they can't agree on what the Bible says, so why should I have to listen to that? And those might be some things that you would discuss at some point. But don't get distracted. Keep the focus where it needs to be. Regardless of whether or not things have been done, terrible things have been done in the name of religion, whether or not there's just one Bible and all kinds of different beliefs, you're still going to die. You're still going to have to face eternity. So where are you going to be? Keep the focus on what's important. Jesus did that. Verse 21. Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. A time is coming, and now is, here, when the real worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. What matters is your relationship with God. Not where you worship. Not your style of worship. Your relationship with God. Now her response is interesting. She said, I know that Messiah is coming. One called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. That sounds a lot like what people will say today. They'll say, yeah, I know. There's probably a God. I've heard about Jesus. And doesn't the Bible say that God is love? So... I'm okay. Because if he is a loving God when he comes, I don't have anything to worry about. He's not going to punish anybody. Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. problem is that the Samaritan woman and, and many people in our world today know about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. If you think that, because the Bible says God is love, That no one is ever going to be punished and there is no such thing as hell, then you don't really know Jesus. You heard about him, but you don't really know him. If you think that because you belong to some organization and you're really working hard to do great things in God's name, that you're okay and you're one of Jesus' disciples, well, you know maybe about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. Jesus told the woman, You need to worship in spirit and in truth." You have to know the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus told her, you're looking for the Messiah? I am. I who speak to you am He. I'm the one true God. Become man. Come down to this earth to live a perfect life in your place. To go to the cross and suffer the payment you deserve for your sins. That's who Jesus is. The one who rose bodily from the grave, who ascended back into heaven. When you deny any of those things, you just know something about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus, the true Jesus. But when you do know who he is and what he's done for you, he pours that living water into you. And he says that living water bubbles up inside of you into eternal life and streams of living water flow from you to others. Share living water. The gospel, the good news of Jesus. Share it. Even in uncomfortable places, even with unlikely people, let them know you have something wonderful, something they would really want, something they absolutely need. Help them recognize their need by recognizing their sin, their need for a Savior. And then manage your objections. Don't get into peripheral arguments, but keep the focus on Jesus, on who he is and what he's done for them. Amen. Please stand peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your